Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. of Pick a Flick. I'm your host, Emma Platt, and joining me this evening is Chris the Hague the Hague. Hi. And from Fail Critics, we have the lovely Steve Norman. Hello. So tonight, we are talking chick flicks. If you've been enjoying Pick a Flick so far, um, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and feel free to leave us a review on there as well. Now, without further ado, let's Pick a Flick. Clueless is a 1995 American American coming-of-age comedy film. It stars Alicia Silverstone in the lead role, Stacey Dash, Paul Rudd and Brittany Murphy. The film is set in Beverly Hills and was written and directed by Amy Heckerling and produced by Scott Rudden. It was released in the United States on July 21st, 1999. It grossed $56 million in the US and has developed a cult following. The film spun off into a television sitcom and a series of... I don't know why Dion's going out with a high school boy. They're like dogs. You have to clean them and feed them. and They're just like these nervous creatures that jump and slobber all over you. Ew! Get off of me! Ugh, as if! Should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America. Amber will take the composition. Cher will be pro. Cher, two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you very much. Uh, Amber, uh, reply? Mr. Hall, how can I answer that? The topic is Haiti, and she's talking about some little party. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Whatever. If she doesn't do the assignment, I can't do mine. So, Clueless stars Alicia Silverstone as Cher, a good-natured but superficial girl who's attractive, popular, and extremely wealthy. I think I saw the TV show before I saw the film. I think, yeah, I think the same. Yeah, Mm, I I mean, like, 1995, I was, like, eight back then, so I don't think I saw it till a couple of years later. I know, like, the last couple of years, I've read quite a few articles about Clueless, you know, about things you might have missed and Clueless, or why Clueless is the greatest chick flick of all time and that, and that kind of thing. And I think it really benefits from Alicia Silverstone's performance as Cher. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. She is definitely like the strongest performance in this, and she makes what is kind of, I mean, because it's based on um, Emma by Jane Austen, and it's it, in the the actual original book, she's quite an annoying character, but in Clueless, um, she's actually she's actually really engaging. She's really likable as a heroine. So I think it is down to Alicia Stills, um, and she does have great chemistry with Paul Rudd and um, with Stacey Dash. You know, may she rest in peace. She's not dead. She's just nuts now. So. Anyway. <laughs> no, she, no, she's actually, she's that nut on Fox News who keeps saying, "Oh, you know, we don't need events for black people anymore," and all that sort of thing. And I'm there, just going, "Oh my God, you're off your." Kid trolley. So yeah, but no, it is a fantastic film. I love this film so much, and I only saw it in uni. I remember watching it one very rainy Sunday afternoon on Film Four, and I should have been revising. And I just sat and watched it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is really good. And it's it is some fantastic performances, and it's really funny. And there's always like little next level jokes to it, and. Yeah, I just I just really really um, enjoy this film. So it it does seem to be a bit cleverer than than some other chick flicks. There seems to be a bit more mm. depth to it and some of the characters and what some of your more more typical chick flicks might, where it's just kind of a standard. Here's a girl. She's in love with a guy. She's not with the guy. Now she's with the guy. Now she's not. Now she is the end. Yeah, there's a yeah. seems to be a bit more yeah. to it than that. I think it's got quite a lot of mm. heart. I mean, On face value, you could say with Clueless that she's the, she and some of the other female characters are quite superficial. Um, but when, when you look into it more, they're not, especially compared to the other film that we'll talk about later, Sex and the City 2. In comparison, mm. they're not. But on face, you could say, oh, it's just some girls who go to kind of a, a really well-off school and they're all really fashion conscious and want to be popular and want to look good and want all the best things. But there's a bit more to them than that. Yeah, I mean, it's quite nice, actually, to see in a high school film that there's not much actual cruelty, I guess, because in a lot of high school things, it's always the popular girls who are, you know, the bitchy and mean and the castle, that sort of thing. Whereas you have Cher, who is quite kind, in a way, in that she has this kind of spiritual revolution at the start of them, thinking, I can, you know, use my powers for good and all that sort of thing. And then she has one two-thirds of the way through the film at her kind of lowest ebb. But they are quite nice characters. I mean, they're, they're clearly teenagers. They're clearly kind of wrapped up and a little bit self-involved and everything. But there's no malice. There's no, oh, I'm going to set out to destroy your life or I'm going to be actually mean to you. That goes beyond kind of, you know, banter. So I, it, it, it's quite nice and it's refreshing to see a protagonist like that. Because I think it's one of these films where if you watch it the first time through... You think, oh, it's a, it's a simple, it's a sweet, you know, chick flick, rom-com, all that sort of thing. But then if you watch it a few times, you, you go, wow, actually, all these characters have got these cool little layers to them. Like, you've got Stacey Dash in the role of the best friend as um, Dion. Um, and you think, oh, okay, a stereotypical black best friend character. And to an extent, she does have character, caricatures of that. But then she's got a really cool relationship with um, her boyfriend, Murray. And then you've got Ty, who... You would have thought, oh, okay, she's going to be a dowry, she's going to be this. But no, she's the most sexually active one. She's the one most confident in herself. Um, and it, it's kind of a refreshing way to look at how women are portrayed on screen, and particularly in a film that is kind of culturally significant to a lot of people. So Yeah, I think if you if you compare it to like a more recent cult film in the same mm. way, like Mean Girls, I mean, that is all about bitchy teenage girls and I think it showed those two films combined can showcase the best and worst of teenage girls because I went to I was a teenage girl and I knew a lot of teenage girls and I went to an all girls school oh, God. and it was hell like teenage girls are literally oh, they're, they're so 
there's a malice towards them that is just unparalleled. It's it's awful. So it is kind of refreshing to see this portrayal of them. I mean, there's um oh, Amber yeah. in it. Like she's like the bitch. But there are still points in the film where she's got like this kind of camaraderie which uh and Dion to a certain extent. It's not like we hate you, you're the enemy. They, I mean they rip the shit out of each other, but there's no real like you're the bitch enemy, you're like the plastic of this movie. So it's it was it is kind of nice to have that representation of teenage girls. It's more than it's more snark than anything. There's no actual real venom to it because they joke about each other's outfits and they occasionally go, oh, there goes your social life. But it's the kind of shit you talk about with your your friends. And she is seen as part of the group and everything, and they do basically tease each other. But there's definitely no venom there. There's no hatred. There's no, you know, you've done my boyfriend, or you did this and you did that, and I'm going to fucking come for you. I'm just going to destroy you. So, yeah, it is it is really nice. And like you say, compared with something like Mean Girls or, you know, some of the other kind of knockoff fare that's been in recent years, it is nice to see, you know, this stereotypical character of, you know, the blonde valley girl who you know is rich and all that sort of thing and then you actually look into her life and you're like wow she's actually a pretty nice person because a lot of the time you know girls like that do get stereotyped and all that sort of thing and it is fantastic for teenage girls at the time i'm presuming obviously i was never a teenage girl and i was and i was four when this film came out (laughs) so i was like okay completely missed it but you've got to realize that a lot of mainstream media punishes teenage girls for the stuff they like so, like, when a teenage girl likes a boy band, it's crap. Oh, you're some to shit, all that sort of thing. But then they're also pushed to hate each other. And then when teenage guys like something, it gets validated. So I think it's nice to actually have a film where you, there's no wrong way to be a, a teenage girl. You're allowed to be like Ty, you're allowed to be like Cher, you're allowed to be like Dion or Amber or whoever. It's absolutely fine. And it's really nice to have that validated. Yeah. It's interesting that you talked about uh, like Cher as a valley girl because Clueless is, um, and particularly Cher, is one of the most notable characters of the, the valley girl accent or valley speak. According to the Wikipedia page, this was it originated in the 1970s and it's notable notable for use of the like like, like whatever, like as if, that kind of thing. But apparently, an uh, Elvira, Mistress of Darkness, is also another character who uses that. And I, re- I kind of do remember a period when I was younger, when the whole, especially as if, became like you know an insult. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I do remember, and it's strange to see how, if you think back to when this film was being made, you know, did anyone really think it was going to have this kind of like such a widespread impact? And I don't know if any, either of you watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. TV series. Yeah. The character oh. Libby, yeah. she dressed in the first series, she dressed an awful lot like shit with the pop socks and the plaid skirts, and she spoke quite a lot like that, but she was obviously the villain and the baddie. So it's, and I don't think that came out to like two two or three years after Clueless, because obviously Melissa Joan Hart was doing um, Clarissa Explains It All before that. So it's, it's kind of, it's always interesting to see how a film has such a long-standing like cultural impact. You can certainly see its influence throughout the nineties, can't you? In American, mm. American kind of yeah. teen, especially TV shows, and obviously it spawned its own TV show. But you know, other as around the same time, you can see its influence coming through there in some of the characters. Maybe not in the characters' personality, but certainly in in their style, the way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk. Yeah, I think as well. Um... The original, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. I think, I think that I don't, I can't say for certain, but you can kind of see a little bit of that kind of like the sense of dress in the original Buffy. And Buffy was a Valley Girl originally, like and all that. This is if you, well, episode I think it's in Becoming Part Two in the second, the end of the second series. You see a flashback to before she was the Slayer, and she's like. I think she's talking to her friends and she's talking about how some guy is asking for a number and she says, and I was like, totally as if. And that was, you know, but that kind of portrays it as a, in a negative, but he was a valley girl and she was an airhead and now she's the slayer. So it's interesting to see the way it's, it can be taken in either way. 
Yeah, it is interesting because it is basically a modern archetype. Like you said, it started in the seventies, the Valley Speak, and then you you know had this stereotype of like the Californian girl who she's rich and she talks like oh my god and all that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting if you do look at like the original Buffy and it's more of a it is more of a stereotype, and then she grows and all that sort of thing. But it's kind of cool with with Cher in that she does try and. It, it follows that kind of chick flick archetype where she starts off and then she tries to change herself for the guy that she likes. You know, she tries to change herself for Christian and she's like, okay, I'll watch a classic movie or I'll do this and I'll do that. And then she comes back and it's not that old thing about, oh, I suddenly realised I was really or anything or, oh, I suddenly really changed my wardrobe to impress a guy like in Greece or whatever. It's the fact that she's like, do you know what? I'm actually good the way I am. I'm not a bad person. And I don't need to change and that sort of thing. And yeah, it's it's. I just always get really heartwarmed by this film, and I always keep it on like a vague rotation. So if I'm ever feeling a bit shit, I can always just watch it. And I'm like, yeah, you. That's yeah, it's a good film. It's definitely one of the the better chick flicks, and I think yes. it's better because it doesn't follow that you know the same kind of trajectory that the other ones. The ones do. The only thing I don't like about this film, and it still creeps me out to this day, is that she ends up with Josh, who the film seems to have made a point all the way through, is that she views him as a brother, and in the end, they just, oh yeah, I'm in love with Josh, and we totally had sex. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit, it's a bit of a bit of an odd way to go to introduce a character as a stepbrother that then she then well, ends up hooking up with, and it's well, it's, it's, it's like just an a... ex, yeah, ex stepbrother. It's all, it's all icky. It's really icky. Yeah, I think that that. If you haven't watched it, do watch Clueless at least once. That's that's my last thing. Just watch it. Especially if you're burnt out and all the other chick flicks. Yes. Before I carry on, like we'd like to thank Maya Brooker for her nomination of Clueless this evening. is a chick flick? Well, um, a chick flick is a slang term for the film genre dealing with mainly love and romance which is targeted to a female audience. Chick flicks are often released en masse around Valentine's Day. The equivalent for the male audience is the guy cry film. I've never heard of that. Me either. Uh, Feminists such as Gloria Steinem have objected to terms such as chick flick and chick lit and a film film critic has called the term chick flick derogatory so like chick flicks it, the phrase wasn't widely used like the 80s and 90s but before that it, we had like the women's films of the twen- of the early 20s where it was like woman as victim I think uh, like Joan Crawford's in it and it's it's the title is like a woman's name early examples are like Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Joan Crawford one I can't remember the name of Mildred Pierce ah, Mildred ah, Pierce okay. that was yeah. it but in the 1980s, there was a huge influx of teenage drama picks that were later labelled as chick flick, made, many made by John Hughes, who was obviously famous for like The Breakfast Club and all that kind of thing. But there did seem to be, like after Pretty Woman and uh, like when Harry Met Sally, there did seem to be like a large influx of them. Now, I'm sure it won't be much of a surprise to anyone that I fucking hate chick flicks. I hate them with a passion. There's very few that I enjoy because of this whole the just the emphasis on a certain type of romance and a certain type of relationship i just can't stand like i don't like pretty woman i don't like dirty dancing i don't like four weddings and a funeral i don't like the notebook none of them they're all awful well not all of them most of them are awful okay then <laughs> um i've got a few i guess i mean a lot of mine are like comedies that happen to be a bit geared towards the female thing but I don't know it's like one that I've recently watched in the past year or so and I quite like it and I'm not even ashamed of it at this point I really like the most recent Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley and um, you know they've all got all the famous Bennett sisters who have gone on to be like huge now like Jenna Malone's in it Tallulah Riley's in it just just Um, to clarify then not not the newest one that's Pride uh, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies no (laughs) I do really want to see that, though. I do really want to see that, because it does look awesome. 
because I'm just like, oh, it's love and swords. So, yeah, there's that, there's... Oh, God, I had like a... Li- okay, ooh, uh, Legally Blonde. Do you want me... Oh, Legally Blonde is like my little life. I like to follow it. I see it as a kind of a weird precursor to um, Clueless because it builds on that kind of blonde is archetype. A, and It definitely is, but the thing about Legally Blonde is that the film isn't centred around elves. I mean, she does go to law school to get her boyfriend back, but you see this growth in her and how she, you know, she's good at what she does. I mean, some examples of chick flicks. We've got An Officer and a Gentleman, Terms of Endearment, 16 Candles, Dirty Dancing, Pretty Woman, Ghost, ugh, fucking Ghost, The Bodyguard, Sleepless in Seattle, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, You've Got Mail, 10 Things I Hate About You is yeah. awesome. I love that film. Because it's just kind of very knowing. Bridget Jones's Diary, hate that. Princess Diaries, I don't mind. Notebook, hate. Enchanted. Enchanted's not a no. chick flick. Enchanted's a Disney one. 27 Dresses. Oh, crap. God. I, I saw that in the uh, cinema. It is genuinely shy. It seems to be quite a, a loose definition, chick flick. If you got a Venn diagram, it'd be crossing over all kind of things. I mean, mm. I was looking at some kind of, of lists earlier of, of the best ones just to see, you know, give me some ideas and, and things. And, and a lot of them had something like Bridesmaids on there. But I wouldn't say that's a chick flick. That's a comedy with a female no. cast. If you're yeah. counting Bridesmaids yeah. as a as a chick flick, you might as well say that the new Ghostbusters films coming out is a chick flick because it's got four main, it's got females in the yeah. in the main four. You know, it, where does it? You know, it's it's not a uh, Pitch Perfect as well. That wouldn't be a chick flick, but it's yeah. all it's pretty much an all female main cast. But you wouldn't say it's a chick yeah. flick. It's a comedy. I'm not going to talk about the new Ghostbusters film. Because the internet has already decided that it hates new Ghostbusters film because it's got a female cast, and I am like a huge Ghostbusters fan. But I definitely get what you're saying. It kind of seems sometimes, well, it's got an ensemble female cast, so therefore it's chick flick. I think it's more about, like, for me personally, about the subject matter and how, I mean, if it's just all on this girl's quest for a guy, I mean, that makes a chick. I mean, do you two think that? think the term chick flick is sexist. Um, I don't I don't think it's sexist because it seems to it seems to me uh it's it's targeting a, a specific audience. And if it's targeting a specific audience that's what it is and that's that's what it it might not be the best term but, but you know it I wouldn't say it's sexist. Everyone knows what it means. I don't think it's ever kind of said hmm. the derogatory I way. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I personally don't think the term's hmm. derogatory, but I can see okay. why some people, I mean, I can see why some people would, but if it's aimed at women, what else are you going to call it? I mean, because when you say a woman's film, to me, that has connotations like the older, like early, like 20s, 30s type of women's film, whatever, you know, but I definitely think like things like Trainwreck, that was, it wasn't a chick flick and it wasn't really a romantic comedy, but I could see how it was trying to do something different with a female character. But for me, that didn't go far enough because she ended up happily ever after settled down with a fella. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I would say that chick flicks aren't representative of what is it is like to be single in your 20s and 30s I mean I came out of a marriage and then had to start dating again and it is rough as fuck it is really horrible but it it doesn't accurately like I've never watched a film and thought that's what it's like for me that's what it was like when I was younger that's what it was like when I had a crush on someone who didn't reciprocate I mean you can't go stalking fellas to make them love you it just doesn't work like that no, as you know, restraining orders will prove. Um, well, it's just—it's just. I tell you, one that's made made me think recently. It's that uh, movie, and it's come out in the past couple of weeks. I've not seen it, but I know what happens. Uh, How to be single with Dakota Johnson and Rebel Wilson, and the ending of it is quite different to how most rom coms end. But it still is like it is still like a, what you would call a chick flick. So then it kind of makes you wonder what. What really defines a chick flick? Is it someone with a female protagonist? Well, no, because you have plenty of films. Or at least, well, let's be honest, not compared to the amount that have male protagonists, but in the female protagonist ones, 
it's not wholly romantic or comedic. You do have, you know, like in Gravity or, um, you know, Sounds to the Lambs or, you know, what, absolutely whatever. So is it a romance? Is that really what you think means? That it, the romance has to be like a driving force behind it? Or is it... I, I honestly don't know. I, it's a weird thing because you can pretty much, if there's a if the romance is like a big part of the story, you could put it in. But it's no, it's a, it's a it's a difficult one. But then, but then as well, you know, not all rom coms are chick flicks, but you could class quite a few of them in that way. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, something like something like the the five year engagement, which was. Um, Jason Segel and Emily Blunt. I, mm. I really enjoyed that. That was a rom-com, but I wouldn't have said it's a chick flick. It, I think it's interesting you say that because when we when we asked on um, Facebook and Twitter for people to name the best and worst chick flicks, there are quite a few that I wouldn't necessarily define as a chick flick. Like for example, um, on Facebook, Louise MacArthur Clare said she loves Serendipity and the Five Year Engagement. Matt Latham said, The Wedding Singer, My Best Friend's Wedding, and Notting Hill. And Lucy Claire Banoyoyes, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong then. Did you hear about the Morgan's Confession of a Shopaholic, Made in Manhattan, and The Wedding Planner? So they are off to... And like like you said, I wouldn't necessarily class... Uh... The Wedding Singer is the Adam Sandler one, isn't it? Yeah. The Wedding yeah, Planner is the really Jennifer Lopez it. one. Yes. See, that yeah. The Wedding Singer isn't a chick flick. An ad, it's an, the wedding, but I would say the wedding yeah. planet is. Yeah, yeah. The Adam Sandler film is not a chick flick. No, no. Uh, on Twitter. What about what about the, Fifty First Dates? Mm, I think that's more romantic. Yeah. Uh, okay. On Twitter, Bubba, at Bubba Wheat said so many bad ones. The best are when Harry met Sally, Moulin Rouge, Princess Diaries, and Clueless. Maya Brooker said my best is Miss Congeniality, and the worst is the sweetest thing. Anything with Sandra Bullock in, please. The cinema addicts at BZ Cinema Addicts, the best would be The Notebook, the worst would be Valentine's Day. And Paul Field at, at PAFster said, My sassy girl, the original, is the best. The worst, too many ones to pick from, an endless sea of mediocrity. And I think that's kind of like, I think that's a good exa- a, a good point to make, is that there are so many, there are some really, really great ones and there's some really awful ones, but a lot of them do seem to fall into this middle, like, just see if uh, I think think you get the impression that a lot of the filmmakers when they come to make this kind of thing just like let's put a pretty girl in it who seems attainable and a really handsome guy and at the end of it she gets with him and people like it yeah no and to be fair people have made entire careers out of that really so you know like well Matthew McConaughey was doing it before he discovered he could act yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's like if you know, and it sounds really mean, but you know, Gary Marshall, who has done all those heinous, you know, Valentine's Day, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's there's Eve. one coming out this year, Mother's Day. All that's, oh, that's not a romantic out. comedy or any kind of romantic in Mother's Day. Yeah, <laughs> just not Norman. Mothers Norm- need love too. Yeah, but not if your son's like Norman Bates. You don't. You don't need that kind of love. Um, I I don't know, but it, I do get what people are saying that you do kind of. Thing. They just follow the same template, and there's slight variations. So one might have Cameron Diaz in it, one might have Leslie Mann in it, one might have you know Alison Brie in it, or you know Sandra Bullock or God knows who. And it is a shame because you know twenty twenty odd years ago they did used to produce some really cool original like rom coms. I'm not saying they don't do them now, but it's a they're a lot harder to find and. A lot of them are the more smaller, more independent ones than the big budget, you know, ones that are coming out now. So Jennifer Aniston had a good run of doing them, didn't she? Just his kind of <sighs> average comp. She made quite a few in a row back in like 2005. There was like Friends with Money, the one about the ro- like where her nan was supposed to be the um, inspiration for Mrs. Robinson, the graduate, and I can't remember the name of it now. She did do like she did one with Aaron Eckhart, yeah. Oh fuck, that was so bad that I can't remember what it was called. She was like a flower seller and his wife had died. She was a florist. Love happens. Yeah. That's what it was called. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Love fucking happens. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, I think, like, I know a lot of a lot of people I know really like The Notebook. And it's, The Notebook is just like... It's designed to make you cry, and I don't like being manipulated in that sort of way. And it's like, look how look how pretty he was, look how pretty she was, look at their love. Their love survived all the odds. And poor him. Is it James Marsden who was in the Notebook? And he's Cyclops. No, no, no. Uh, is that Ryan Gosling? Oh no, there yeah, was James Marsden. I've never seen it, so he I'm was just in, guessing. He was the other guy who got screwed over for the more handsome lead. <laughs> what did you remember thinking? Like, like Enchanted. Yeah, Enchanted, and he was in Superman Returns um, with Kate Kate Bosworth as well, and he was hair fella. And there was I remember thinking, oh poor James Marsden, you're having new luck, are you? And then he was leading that god awful Twenty Seven Dresses. Catherine Heigl movies, a lot of them where she's the lead. Like I have only seen a few of her actual like l- when she's leading films, and apart from sort of like Knocked Up. Which was, it, it, it was funny about then. There was that god-awful one she did with Gerard Butler. What the hell was it? Was it called, like, The Awful the Awful the Truth? Awful. Or? I think it was called, yeah, The Awful Truth. And funnily enough, there's, a, like, a 1930s film called The Awful Truth. And it's about a couple who decide to get divorced for the most random reason. And for some reason, they have, like, 30 days to... The divorce will come final at midnight on the 30th day. And then they get back together at, like, one minute to midnight and... Somehow the law knows. It's really strange. But I remember thinking, this is already an awful truth. She's made quite a few. She made that one with uh, Ashton Kutcher, like The Killers or something. And it wasn't a romantic comedy. Oh, yeah. She did kind of start to get this, I don't know, like the new Cameron Diaz back in the 90s, the new Julia Roberts. Julia yeah. Roberts and Meg Ryan. Remember Meg Ryan? Remember Meg Ryan? Remember Meg Ryan? Before she fucked Russell Crowe and everyone hated her. Boo, Meg Ryan, boo. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the biggest chick flick of the last couple of years, I mean, the hype behind it has probably been Fifty Shades of Grey. And I know they were calling it, like, mum porn and mum rotica and all that kind of thing, but, oh, God, that was awful. It was so bad. I kind of get sometimes I feel like they don't make intelligent films for women, and if you if you take a chick flick to mean that, then it can be derogatory because it's kind of all women care about is shoes and shiny things and having a man to look after them, and it's such an outdated. It's so outdated now, but it to me I still feel like that's the kind of chick flick they try and make. Well, perhaps if they if if you're marketing a chick flick, or you know the 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 test screening one. You're expecting the women to to laugh and ultimately end just go, ah, and that's kind of what they're aiming to produce from the film. It's kind of sad, really, isn't it, that they're all going to follow this template? They do, they, they do seem to be, the, in any kind of genre film, the most formulaic. There are some that aren't and, and break the mould and, and 
I wouldn't say push boundaries, but you know, try and be different, try and offer something different. Um, but a lot of them do just seem to be kind of by the books. I think though sometimes it can be that the idea that women are doing different things now and you know don't just have to get married and have kids and stay at home. I think sometimes like old institutions like Hollywood they find that dangerous. It's kind of like when they made film noir. The female characters in there were always dangerous because it was a reaction to women who had worked during the Second World War. And when their husbands came home, they didn't want to stay at home now because they'd they'd gone to work. So the female characters in those films were kind of like, look, she's so dangerous because she doesn't have a husband and she doesn't have children and she goes to work. And I think sometimes I feel that even now, certain media outlets still find that kind of scary that a woman would have either not want to do that at all or would want to be able to do both you know have a career and have kids and don't get me wrong I'm I'm not one of these like we can have it all women can have it all because I don't think anyone can have it all life's fucking tough whether you work and or you've just you, you know you stay at home with the kids or you do both or whatever and it's not about it shouldn't be about a woman saying look how independent and strong I am because I work and I have I have children because if you're in a proper equal partnership then your partner says, can say exactly the same thing as well more equality more equality not just for women equality for everyone yes I really wanted to just go votes for women <laughs> you have votes more votes for women well that's not enough <laughs> we want yeah. more down with toxic toxic masculinity but that just into a Mad Max Fury Road post. Damn so. you, patriarchy! I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one though. For, okay, and this is just a tiny little thing about the whole chip, what defines a chip flick and everything. Does it need to have a romance in it? Because I can think of like at least two or three from like the eighties where it wasn't the point. So like the first Wife Club, which is amazing. Oh, I love I, that film. It's so good. I can't wait for the one that's coming out on Netflix. That divination thing with all of them. I'm like, yes. But the romance is not the point of those films. No. It's the, the shit they have. But it's, it, I would count that as a chick flick. The same, really, with movies like, and I've not seen either of these two, but they sound good. It's Beaches. And there's a film called Boys on the Side, which has Whoopi Goldberg and I think Holly Hunter in it. And it's, yeah, it's a film about female relationships. Would you count Thelma and Louise as a chick flick? They are counted as chick flicks, but they, I mean... There seems to be kind of two main types of chick flicks. There's one where the central theme is a, is a romance, mm. and, and another type where it's kind of girls together, you know, a group of girls or two or three friends going on some kind of adventure or trip, whether it's like a, a literal adventure, you know, going from one place to another, or whether it's kind of a, a journey in their personalities or whatever. Yeah, there's, there's that kind of thing rather than actual an actual romance yeah. love story. But it seems to be chick flicks mm. fall into those two two categories. I think like the romance chick flick gets more attention, but you could if you're going to include like like journey films on it, you could have Crossroads with the Britney Spears movie. I don't know if anyone else saw that, but I did. It, like the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which I've never seen. And Spice World. Spice I was going to mention that. I've not seen it. Yes. But, yeah. So, yeah, I think... Spice World! Spice World. Well, it's about a group, oh, group of women. Spice World. I think I've only ever seen it once, and I was a huge Spice Girls fan back in the late 90s. So. Someone at work uh, last weekend was like, oh, Spice World's on Netflix. <laughs> did you watch it? I did. I watched it, and then I went and commented back at work, and she was like, did you watch it? And I was like, yeah. And Victoria Beckham's actually really fucking funny in it like I didn't get it I was like no no but I'm really impressed with it like the others you can tell they're just it's like campy oh is this real or whatever Victoria Beckham just delivering these brilliantly bitchy one-liners and I'm like that's actually really funny so I'm quite happy with that because for a while I was like oh Victoria Beckham she's snooty she's all this and the more and more I see her I'm like oh wow she's actually really funny but she's just like dry as fuck like bone dry <laughs> so yeah I enjoyed Spice World a lot so yeah and I would count that as a chick flick
further ado, let's move on to our next picked flick, and it is Sex and the City 2. Um, so if you don't know, Sex and the City 2 is a 2010 American romantic comedy written, co-produced, and directed by Michael Patrick King. It is a sequel to the 2008 film Sex and the City, which is based on the HBO TV series of the same name. How often do you guys have sex? Sex. Miranda, please. What? She's three. She doesn't know what it means. I'm 41, and I still don't know what it means. I know, but she is repeating everything. If I'd known the girl talk was going to be on lockdown, I wouldn't have flown 3,000 miles. No, we can talk. Let's just not use the bad words. Okay. Fine. How often do you guys color? Thank you. Well, I can't color enough. I could color all day, every day if I had my way. I would use every crayon in my box. We get it. You love to color. Why are you asking? Well, last night, Steve and I were coloring, and I was just about to come. I'm sorry, there's no crayon equivalent. And he wanted to switch positions, and I said, let's just get it over with. He kept trying to make it last longer. And this is bad. It is when you have a full-time job. I have a full-time job. Well, you don't also have a five-year-old, and playdates, and PTA meetings, and a mother-in-law in a rest home with advancing Alzheimer's. We're just going through a no-coloring phase. It comes and goes, right? Every couple is different. Harry and I make love two, three times a week. Great, now I feel worse. Well, what was the last time for you? Six months ago. Oh my. Sounds long. <laughs> but, but, but that's a dry spell. I bet it is. Hey, Carrie. Hmm? What about you and Big? Mm. Come on. I told. Tell. Mm -mm. But I will tell you this when Big colors, he rarely stays inside the lines. <laughs> well, this has been very helpful. I'm not ashamed to say this, but I, I when I loved Sex and City, the TV show, and I was probably, when I started watching it, I was probably too young to be watching Sex and City, but it used to be on Channel 4 of a Friday night. <laughs> and when I got, like, I used to have to go to bed at, like, half past eight, and I would put the television on and watch Sex and City, and then Euro Trash used to be on after it, and uh, so great oh. Norton. So far too young to be watching them. But I was really into Sex and the City, and by the time the final series came around, I was heavily, heavily invested into what was happening to these characters. And I went to see the first movie the first day it came out, and then, then this came out. And <laughs> it just it took something that was so special to me, and shat all over. Yeah, that's that's a fair. <laughs> but I, I would say now that I have a, I've got like a bit a bit of distance from the TV show, I view it in a totally different way now than I did like four or five years ago. Not necessarily the message or anything, but fucking Carrie Bradshaw. Fucking, there is not. I don't think there's any likable characteristic about her she is vain she's selfish she spends five years chasing after a man who is emotionally unavailable to her and eventually he just goes oh sorry i want to marry you now and in the first film he leaves her at the altar and she gets back with him like how spineless and how uh it just annoys me because if it, it felt like it was saying it's okay if a man leaves you at the altar and humiliates you in front of all your friends and family, even though you waited ten fucking years for him to be ready to get married to you. It's okay because give him some time and you'll come back to you and it'll all be okay. And it's just not cool. That's not cool. No, it's not um, cool. So Sex and the City Two um, begins with Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda meeting up with each other, which turns into a flashback of how Carrie arrived in New York in 1986 and met everyone. Now all are married, but Samantha, who was 52 and is desperately trying to keep her libido alive with the help of, of menopause pills. Oh, fucking hell. Basically. <laughs> I mean, there's some bad science in films like The Day After Tomorrow and stuff yeah. like that, but that just seems to take the take the biscuit. Yeah. She's, I remember, she's got like these pills and they're meant to be crushed up like pomegranates or something, and it's helping her menopause stay away. Basically what happens is... Miranda's being sexually harassed at work by her boss. Charlotte can't cope with her two children, even though she's got a nanny. And Carrie's marriage to Mr. Big isn't perfect because he buys her a TV for their anniversary instead of jewellery. So she fucks off to Dubai with Samantha, where they take the piss out of the low holes 
ignore the local rules and just do what the fuck they want. This film is an absolute fucking train wreck. See, this is, yes. I, I didn't watch the TV show. I've seen the odd episode here and there. Not not my thing. So before this podcast, I watched both the first film and this film so I could kind of get a feel for it. And the first film seemed to have a bit of heart to it, a bit of depth in the characters, a bit mm. of journey for all the characters. The second film just seemed to be some vain materialistic bullshit where the women are just horrible people yeah and and like like with when you said with the television and she wanted jewelry instead but there was a reason for him giving the television they're, they're having a trouble you know they're not having the best relationship they like watching old films together in bed so he buys a telly so he can watch old films together in bed not some jewelry that she can just stick on her wrist and go oh look at my jewelry yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm being funny, but what is she expecting when he left her at the altar not two <laughs> well, years yeah. earlier that their marriage wouldn't be fucking perfect? I mean, at points, this film is borderline racist. Oh, yeah. The scene <laughs> with the watching, they are actively watching and mocking a woman wearing a burka, and I'm, I'm not I'm sorry if that's not the correct term for it, eating like she's eating chips. And they're literally watching and going, oh, look at that weird woman in those weird clothes. And I'm thinking, well, if you've walked down Fifth Avenue in a fucking tutu, you ain't got no right to be dissing anyone. It's it's offensive. And it's like you said, Steve, there's no there's no heart. And especially like the first one, there are, there are people who watch it like me for years and years. And when like he says, oh, she's finally going to marry Mr. Big and you, it didn't happen. You could feel a bit like, oh, damn. But this, it's not, it's just, but it's just an exercise in money making and manipulating the fans and giving them a piss poor product. See, see, I mean, you can, some people, and you can kind of see where they're coming from, draw, draw comparisons with saying it's kind of a female version of the Entourage movie. Now, I love yeah. the Entourage, a TV show, but I didn't like the movie, not because it was some kind of sexist, materialistic film. I just thought it was a bad film. Uh, and not a good, you know, not a good spin-off from the TV show. But at least that kind of stuck to what the TV show was about. It was still, it was still the same themes and the same thing as as the show. This just kind of deviates from the first film and the first show, making the characters just nasty people. Yeah, when it, it, when they're always a bit vain, obviously you can tell they're vain by you know the, the way they're so fashion conscious and and want to be seen in all the right places and high society well that kind of thing but they, they've got you know in the, in the show i'm assuming in the first film they've got a bit of personality they're not actually nasty horrible people but in the second film they just seem to be just not nice i have seen a fair bit of the series and i quite like the first film and they all had really nice arcs and you know it was actually really nice and relatable in the first film because you know I quite liked Charlotte's arc of being scared because she spent so long being preg- uh, wanting a baby and now she was actually pregnant and it was you know Miranda actually had some actual personal shit to deal with with her husband cheating on her and you know that's all that's all nice and everything and the second film just completely torpedoes it and it does make them completely unlikable I mean it's weird and it's it kind of revels in this weird off-brand white feminism so basically they're they're allowed to be strong independent women but women in saudi arabia or dubai aren't allowed to be they're not allowed to actually say do you know what? i don't mind wearing the you know the burqa or you know the various garments i'm really sorry i can't remember any at the moment but they're not allowed to kind of appreciate them like they make fun of the woman in the um i don't think it's the burqa it might be the oh, i want to might be the hijab or the knee kneecap. That might be where it's the face showing, but everything else is covered. And they're there in the pool, and they're going, "Oh look, it's a bikini!" And I'm like, "I've actually seen people in those, so leave them the fuck alone." But then it's it is also that. I mean, there's that conversation between Miranda and Charlotte once they're in Abu Dhabi, where they're just like, "Oh my god, I don't know how you can cope with having a job and you know a child." And I'm there just going, millions of women, and you know not just women, but obviously millions of families do this every day, they don't have nannies, they don't have this obscene level of privilege you've got. So I don't, I, it, it annoys me, as someone who comes from a working class background, that they're like, oh my god, my life's so hard, I have a nanny, and I just, I spend home all day baking, and I just can't deal with it, and I just, I just thought, Charlotte has become an unbelievably unlikable character, and she and Miranda, for me, were my two to go to, because Miranda was always quite 
sensible, and I liked that. And Charlotte was always kind of sweet, and I enjoyed that. But they made him just so privileged and unlikable, and this fucking... It, it just completely robbed the film for me. And I get... I mean, to be honest, I agree with you a bit with Carrie. I mean, personally, she and Mr. Big fucking deserve each other at this point because he's, you know, he's got the emotional range of a teaspoon. And she, and she <laughs> she's so bleeding... Oh, I'm not even going to say cold, but she's so fickle. She's so... Yeah, she is. I mean, what what annoyed me, I, like, when the final series came out, and back when I used to read Cosmo and Glamour, there were so many articles written about, like, the Mr. Right's now called Mr. Big, and I was thinking, hang on a minute, Mr. B- why are we suddenly idolising this this man who treat has treated this woman badly for years, he cheated on his wife with this woman? So it, it just, I hated that. And, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like, Charlotte locks up in the cupboard and cries because her small child put her chocolatey hand on her vintage silk skirt, and I was thinking... Seriously, my child has been sick in my mouth before. <laughs> I have had to clean up bodily fluids at four o'clock in the morning when I haven't slept in four days. I've sat in the hospital with that child and nursed him. And that's your breaking point. Like, love, it doesn't get any easier. It really doesn't. So if that's your breaking point, you need to go get yourself help now because it gets much worse than this. I mean, the critical response to this as well was absolutely it was heinous. Like, Lindy West wrote, <laughs> Sex in the City 2 takes everything that I hold dear as a woman and as a human. Working hard, contributing to society, not being an entitled cunt <laughs> like it's my job. And rapes it to death with with a stiletto that costs more than my yeah, car. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. I mean, just going back to what you were talking about earlier, about, you know, oh, why we're on Mr. Big and everything. I, I think it says something really about how modern culture has kind of looked at you know Mr Big and Carrie's relationship and how it progresses in the films which by the way by the end of it it is fucked up their relationship is awful you know even at the end of the second film where he basically gives her a black diamond because she cheated by kissing Aiden who was her other her other big romance she should have ended up with Aiden oh she should anyway. have ended up alone I don't I, I, actually no she didn't deserve and this is the thing like Sex and the City is one of those things I still feel strongly about today. I still have conversations with my friends about how much we hate Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> and this, I mean, there's still times when I go out to town with my friends and there'll be a group of women of a certain age drinking their Chardonnay and you can hear them still say, we're such like Sex and the I, City girls. I'm such and a Samantha. Don't. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> don't, don't base, don't base your, your life on these people because by the end of it by the end of our journey with them they are all unlikely except for Miranda I would say I think she comes out of it I mean Samantha she had a bit of growth and this is what I liked about Samantha she ended up in a long-term relationship and then kind of was like this isn't for me and I was like finally finally I can see someone on screen who says that but it got to the point when all she cared about was Sex, 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 sex. I mean, she broke the law in another country just because my vagina is so powerful. No law in this land. Oh, Stop the condom it. thing. I, like, oh, like, I, I, I get if you want to be oh, sexually intelligent, well. but you have to, you know, respect another country. You can't just go around saying, yes, I mean, condoms, yeah. look at them. No wonder they got fucking pissed off. And... Your, um, your vagina doesn't rule no, the world. No, but not just that, but it's the scene after as well where they get snuck into hiding and it's, you know, it's basically implied that all of these, all the women in like, you know, the knee quabs and the burkas and all that sort of thing, they then take it off and say, oh look, we're just like you or that sort of thing, which is such a horrible thing because they're basically saying, yeah, it turns out that if we didn't have all of our, you know, bastard husbands, we'd be walking around just like you and just the same. And it's like, no, you can't go around presuming that everyone else would like to live the same way that you do. And it's just, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying in that Miranda is the only one who really comes out at the end of, the, like, the saga, because I don't think they're doing a third one, thank God. Um, and she comes out and like, oh, okay, she actually, you know, she was getting, you know, mistreated at work because of her gender and everything. And that's okay. But then you've got to think, it's horrible what they've done to these characters. Because at the end of the first Sex and the City, I could sort of, like, I quite like Charlotte, I can understand Samantha, Miranda was still fine. I mean, Carrie, I'm, yeah, either way. But it reminds me a bit of um, some 
weirdly Blake Lively said, and she said, because she always gets the question, which of the Sex and the City characters do you relate to? And she just said, the men. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, ha- Harry, Charlotte's husband, is actually my favourite character because he's the, actually he's mm. genuinely decent, very sweet, committed father, you know, and he's just one of those lovely, lovely guys. Yeah, so he I'm is. just like, and I, I quite like to, I mean, I don't think the men in Sex and City, they don't get written about as much because they are just kind of disposable. Yeah, do you know, in. But, I mean, it's interesting that you, besides Mr. Big, who is, he's a big cunt. Let's face it, he's a big cunt. That's all he is. Harry, I love the fact that Charlotte went from, he's he's short and he's bald and he's fat and he's... Jewish. You know, he's got a hairy back and he's a bit... And he's <laughs> Jewish. And it turns out to be the perfect guy for her. And Steve, oh, Steve fucked up. Steve fucked up. But even though he fucked up, even though he cheated on Miranda... That scene where they met in the Brooklyn Bridge, I was like, even my cold stone heart cracked a little bit. The larger scale of Sex and City, they are disposable. And in some ways, I can see how people would say, well, women are disposable to men in popular culture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you you choose to look at the world like that, that's fine. That's, That's up to you. But if you don't want men to treat women as disposable objects, fucking do something about it yourself. Take some sort of stance on your own two feet and decide that you're not going to let a man treat you as a disposable object no matter how you choose to live your life or how you choose to act say no i'm not gonna let you treat me like that and that's how you make a stand not by making shitty films of something that was once oh so special to a few of us thank you very fucking much fuck this film fuck everyone who made it i hate you you ruined everything like sex and city is so like when i told my boyfriend i like sex and the city he was like you like Sex and the City? He said you're basic. He said you are basically a boy, and I was just like, yeah, well, it was cool back then. But at the second one, it's just it's so bad. And I remember watching the TV series, and there's an episode where Charlotte gets pregnant and then has a miscarriage, and I genuinely got really upset at that. That was the only time I was like, shit. But she gets over it by remembering that Elizabeth Taylor was a badass, and so she channeled. Dame Elizabeth That's Taylor's cool. spirit and just got on with it. There was, I always remember watching that episode because like the last kind of series, Charlotte became a bit obsessed with Elizabeth Taylor because she was going to convert to Judaism for <laughs> Harry. And I always remember she said, did you know Elizabeth Taylor converted to Judaism for Eddie Fisher? This is factually incorrect. Elizabeth Taylor converted to Judaism for her third husband, Michael Todd. Oh. And she was and she had been raised a Christian scientist, but she had a I Jewish lo- burial when she died. So something she believes in for the rest of her life. I just felt the need to, lo- you know, I love that no one, no one actually that checked that. No one went, oh, is she actually doing it for the right husband? Ah, oh, fuck it, we'll just stick it in. No one actually fact-checked it. No, she... Because, yeah, because her third husband, Michael Todd, used to call her my fat little Jewish princess. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and she... And Richard Bitt, I, I like Liz, I like Lizzie Taylor. I feel like I could be mates with Lizzie Taylor, but, you know, God rest mm, her soul. Um, so we'd like to thank Tom Bohowick for the nomination of Sex and Sex Cheers, Tom. Week. Thank you. So that is it from us here tonight at Pick a Flick. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I'd like to thank Chris and Steve for joining me and give them a chance to call themselves out for your pleasure. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at higher underscore boy. Um, I don't actually have like a, a podcast, but I generally float around doing all kinds of awesome podcasts. So I am on Pick a Flick a lot. I've been on Pick a Flick now for the past three weeks in a row. Um, I am going to be on <laughs> Dead Meat in the future. I'm doing the Failed Critics. Netflix Originals podcast tomorrow with Steve and all the fantastic guys over there, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it, really. You're a podcasting bluesy. I am. Yeah, um, you can follow us on Twitter at KickerFootPod. We are also on the Facebooks. The website is blackholepodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Crushin82 for your weekly New Day Rocks tweet every Tuesday and you can also follow me on Twitter at DeadMeetHorror which is my horror podcast which only has one episode so far but episode 2 will be recording very soon 
episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.